This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to give you some really good information so that you can strategize uh, in this real estate game. Um, here we are the day before the big game, the Super Bowl. And um, to help me today, I have in the studio with us Steve Herdlicka, who is a local attorney, uh, landlord-tenant law. That is what you specialize in. That's and, right. And collections. That's right. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, you're not nervous at all because you've done this before. I'm feeling a little bit like a veteran, but not the 12 years you've been doing it. Okay. And um, I figured, you know, there's no curveball I can throw you that some judge hasn't thrown you in, in court. So <laughs> It's uh, happened a few times. That's right. Or, or maybe not even the judge, maybe the, uh, the other party. It absolutely happens a lot. All right. I remember one time many years ago, and I believe, it, yeah, it was you representing me, where the, here, talk about a curveball, um, the tenant shows up and says, no, I, I paid the rent. In fact, here's copies of the receipt. That, that's always a tough one to overcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the judge gave us a 30-day stay and um, came back and found out those were whited out. Those were checks made out to somebody else. Exactly. So I don't know how they figured they'd get away with that one. But Took us a little bit of time to figure that out, though. Yeah. And I was under the wrong impression of what the courts were. I was wanting to lock them up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they defrauded the courts. Um, but I guess that's not how it worked. But anyway, I did get possession of the property back. Always the main goal. So today, we're going to talk a lot about the new environment here in California. Um, the other day, I had an, uh, an agent call me from Washington, the state of Washington, and said, I'm referring a investor to you. She goes, do you have rent control there in Fresno? Go, well, hate to tell you this, but the whole state of California has it. That's exactly right. It used to be limited primarily to uh, the highly congested areas in L.A. and San Francisco, the Bay Area. And that's not true anymore. As of January 1, 2020, essentially the entire state has some form of rent control. And when you say some form of rent control, what, what do you well, mean by there's, that? There's a couple of different things that are going on. The, um, first of all, the current administration believed that rents were skyrocketing in certain areas, not Fresno necessarily, but San Francisco, the Bay Area in particular, and their constituents, the renters, the tenants, were screaming bloody murder, so they thought they needed to do something about it. What they did is they ended up, they um, proposed AB, Assembly Bill 1482, and it was passed. Uh, it became effective January 1, 2020. It does not apply to all rental units. But the majority of them are now controlled by it. And there is a rent cap. It's a form of rent control. In other words, you can only raise your rent so much. And there is also a just cause provision in that legislation. 
I think, and so many of the bills um, get passed or defeated by the name of them. And I think this was a little bit of a, I'll say it, a ruse, because it was tabbed the um, Tenant Protection Act, a rent control bill. But I think the real zinger is the just cause. You know, a lot of people can, a lot of landlords can live with the, the rent cap. Well, first of all, you know, I represent landlords. Landlords don't simply evict a tenant for no reason. There is always a reason. And 99.9% of the time, it's a great reason. And what I mean by that is if somebody fails to pay rent, obviously you need to take action. No landlord wants to spend the time evicting somebody. I liken it to uh, an employer. And what I mean by that is an employer has a position they want to fill and they go out and they look for an applicant and they, they screen them through the resumes, the interview process. They finally find the right uh, employee very much like a landlord. They finally find what they believe is going to be a good tenant. And maybe something small happens and maybe it happens again. And at some point, just like an employer, they become disillusioned and say, this is not the right hire. This is not the right person for me. Landlords are the same way. And they say, this is not the right tenant. You know, they told me they would live here by themselves. Now they're significant other and their friends and their kids. I have 13 people living in my small place. I can't tolerate that. Yeah. And um, things do happen in life. Um, I I remember a situation. I rented a home to this couple and I was so proud of them for the first two years. I mean, I love driving by the place. They kept up the yard. They enhanced it. I mean, it it was their home. You could tell it was great. They paid on time. Um, And I'm thinking, yep, I sure know how to pick them. (laughs) And then all of a sudden things started going kind of sideways you know, check bounced. Uh, They were late. The yard was no longer the plum of of the neighborhood. It started going downhill. Well, I found out they split up. And so life happens, but I will give it to them. They came to me and said, and they communicated and they said, I know we're inside of a lease. It still have a few more months left but we can't do this anymore. Well, common sense is, okay, let's work together to find someone else. We did it. They ended up leaving on good terms. I I would rent to either one of them again. Uh That's pretty much a success story. You know, from my perspective, you had a good two-year run. When you noticed there was a problem, you didn't have to call my office. You were able to work it out on your own. Well, I don't know if it's a success story for you because communication overcame litigation. Well, you know, communication is always the right way. There, you know, even when we, uh, when a client comes to me with the idea that we may have to file an unlawful detainer, a lot of times there are alternatives. I would say half of the notices I get, we do not file on. One way or another, it's getting resolved. Really? It, it's it's a, a large number But when it's absolutely necessary, when you have to file the unlawful detainer because someone just fails to pay rent, and a lot of times the folks, the tenants, don't see the alternative. You know, they've they've split up or they're having other problems. You know, the car breaks down and they paid for the repairs, and they just don't see the next step. They don't realize that if they talk to the landlord, a lot of times the landlord will say, you've been here two years, you've been a great tenant, you're taking care of the place. 
you know, let's delay that rent payment. I'm going to give you some additional time to come up with the money. And they can. But if they don't communicate, the landlord doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to go back to your analogy about finding a good employee. That That is a perfect analogy because once a landlord has found a good tenant, you don't want to get rid of them. That's I, absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, the pain of having to uh, find a new one, the, the pain of having to repaint in, in, in the car, or not the pain, but the cost. The turn cost, right. Yeah. You, you're going to go in and steam clean the carpets and you're going to touch up the paint and all those types of things you do if you can keep that tenant in place. And that's why a lot of landlords, and I know you uh, agree with this philosophy, why raise the rent, at least in the past, why raise the rent if I've got a good tenant and everything's, you know, humming along? Uh, we both benefit from that situation. So why raise the rent? And you said in the past. So how has it changed now? It has changed dramatically. The government got involved. And anytime the government gets involved, they screw things up. And, you know, aside from, you know, defending the country and, you know, there's some things that obviously the government needs to do. This was not one of them. They, they put their nose in where it didn't belong. They think they've uh, done something wonderful for both tenants and landlords. And I think it's largely backfired with regard to the rent cap portion of AB 1482. They've now restricted how much a landlord can raise the rent. Most landlords have always thought, okay, if my costs really are, you know, get out of whack, whatever that might be property taxes go up, insurance, whatever it might be, you know, those fixed costs generally, I can always raise the rent if I need to. Well, now the government has said, oh, wait a minute. No, you can't. We're going to limit what that is. Specifically, they've limited it to the lower of 10% or 5% plus the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, or the cost of living, if you will. Now in Fresno, and it's a regional thing, so that amount can change throughout the state. Currently, today, in Fresno, the CPI is 3.34%. You add that to the five, you can raise your rent 8.34%. A lot of landlords weren't doing that. But now that the government got involved, they take a look at the situation. They say, well, I better raise it now because next year I may not have that luxury. My cost might exceed whatever I can raise the rent. Um, some people refer to that as banking and other uh, states they have situations where you can, if I don't raise my rent next year, I can take whatever I didn't raise it this year, add it to whatever the uh, law might be, and I'm okay. California didn't do that. California said it's going to be the lesser of 10% or this kind of formula of 5% plus a CPI. So if you don't raise the rent this year, um, you lose it. You lose it. next. The, you ne lose the government-controlled ability. You, what, what you lose is the, uh, the flexibility. So next year, once a year, you can raise your rent, but you can only raise it within those parameters. That is 5% plus the CPI or the less than 10%. Um, you know, just very quickly, a lot of people confuse this with another law that's been on the books for quite some time, and that has to do with natural disasters, anti-gouging laws where basically if there's a natural disaster, you can't take a case of water that cost you $4 and sell it for 100 because you're the only guy on the street corner selling water. And they've imposed those laws and basically said you can't increase things like rent more than 
during those natural disasters. A lot of people don't understand this, but in the state of California, we've had so many fires. We're kind of in this perpetual state of a natural disaster. Those counties where they had fires, they've just extended that through the end of the year. So that Mm -hmm. in those areas, um, you know, we had an entire city wiped out by a fire. The surrounding areas can't raise rents because all of a sudden the demand has gone up significantly. You know, and most of the properties that are affected by this new bill are going to be managed by property agents, property Oftentimes managers. that's true, yes. I, here's a thought. Would, wouldn't it be the right thing for a property manager to do to raise the rent every year? Because now they're doing their duty to their client. So they can't be, uh, you know, it's like no more Mr. Nice Guy. You can't well, say, well, these people are nice. We'll let you, them stay. You, you've hit on an interesting point. And depending upon your perspective, I agree with you. A lot of management companies have said, okay, now we know exactly what we should raise the rent. Other people would argue with that and say, no, no, no. The law doesn't mean you have to. But uh, I've seen a lot of management companies, a lot of landlords say, well, I better do it now. Because if I need to do it next year, if my costs go up, and I'll give you a real quick example. With all the fires I just mentioned, if you have a property in a mountainous area, a lot of insurance companies have pulled out altogether. And the ones that are left, insurance has got up three, fourfold. And so if you're capped and you can't raise your rent to take in that additional cost, you could have the rent much less than your fixed cost. You're going to end up losing the property or taking that money out of your bank account. Or selling it to some big corporation that can't afford it. Well, that could be, and hope that things change down the road. Right. So there's another unintended consequence. I see where this this, um, philosophy of helping the poor tenant could actually benefit large corporations. It's possible. I think unintended consequence is exactly the right way to characterize a lot of what's going on here. I don't think the majority of people that voted for this thought there would be problems. They thought they were fixing a problem, but they created these unintended consequences. All right. With that, we do have to go to our first commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Welcome back. Welcome home radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio with us is Steve Herdlicka, a landlord tenant attorney here in Fresno and um, describing to us about the new environment here in California with rent control and just cause eviction. But first, I have a question to ask you about I understand your son just got his real estate license. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, uh, my son Brent, great guy, uh, decided to move to Boise, Idaho. You know, all these reports are that's a booming place, and it it is a great place to live. My wife and I just visited, and candidly, uh, I was surprised to find that the prices were not as cheap as I thought they would be. I've heard all these people saying we're going to move to Boise, we can buy, you know, a significantly better home for less money. I just didn't find that to be true. And I think the reason is Californians screwed that up too. Too many of them moved. And if I could offer this reasoning, that's because you're used to the Central Valley, not 
Well, that's true enough. If I lived in San Francisco and moved to Boise, Idaho, there would be a significant decrease. You know, my money would go a lot further in Boise. Right. There's no doubt about it. So there are considerable a considerable number of people throughout the state of California that have been moving Texas, Boise, wherever it might be, to get the benefit of that uh, difference. And that's something for us to consider, even when we talk about the uh, AB uh, 1482 rent control bill, or it's called the Tenant Protection Act. The valley is different than the coastal areas of California. So maybe that needed to be there, but does it really need to be statewide? One more thing. it it must be true. Here's an there's no statistics on this one about people leaving the state and going to Idaho or Arizona or whatever. I have seen a significant increase in the amount of um, communications that I receive as a real estate broker here from out of state agents saying, "Hey, send me your referrals." They they know people are leaving. <laughs> that is exactly correct. Yeah, I, I mean, I never got those for years and years, and all of a sudden, I, I I'll bet I get three or four a, a week. The number of homeowners that are relocating out of the state exceeds the number of people that are coming in that are on welfare, public assistance, and whatnot. If you look at the pure numbers, uh, the governor will say, "Oh, well, we have more people coming into the state than we have leaving." Well, that's true. But those are the people that take. Those are the people that the taxpayers have to support versus the people that are making a living and and paying taxes and whatnot. Those people are leaving in droves. And speaking of giving and taking, and I'm going to brag on my son for a minute. He went to work at Disney World in Florida. And he was telling me, yeah, they don't pay us very much, but, you know, it's, it's a nice place to work. And then I noticed that there was all these homeless people in Orlando, Florida, that had orange vests on and they were cleaning up places. He said, you know, I could make more money doing that because they get $50 a day. They uh, only have to work five hours a day and they get a meal, a shower. He said, I could do that. And I'm starting to worry about where my son's (laughs) going with this, right? But he said, don't worry, dad, I'm not going to do it. He goes, I don't want to be a taker. I want to be a giver. Well, you raised him correctly. Yeah, dodge the bullet on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So could you define for us what just cause is and then give us a few examples? Well, in order to define it, let me back up. Prior to this new law, if a tenant rented a property on a month-to-month basis or perhaps they'd rent it on a lease, and now we're old over, so now you're on a month-to-month basis, the landlord essentially could give them a notice to terminate the tenancy without any reason, without any cause. There were certain isolated communities in California that did require a cause, and there were certain situations like if the tenant was on Section 8, for instance, you can't just give a notice. You'd have to give a 90-day notice, and that 90-day notice had to have a cause, a good cause, as to why you were terminating the tenancy. Now, assuming the 1482 applies to your property, and there are some exemptions, but assuming it applies, you have to have a good reason. There's 11 of those reasons that are set forth in the legislation. By way of example, failure to pay rent. That's still a good reason, even by the standards set forth by the state of California. Uh, Criminal activity is another good reason. 
So if the landlord could prove that these things have happened, and that's always been the case, if you file an unlawful detainer, which is just a fancy way of saying eviction, if you filed a lawsuit in order to evict someone from a home, you've always had the burden of proof. The landlord has always had the obligation to prove to the court that this individual or couple actually owed the rent or actually committed the offense that you've accused them of. By the way, we just got a, I just got a text from a listener, and he was saying, I guess referring to our thing about values, the Central Valley has the best values in the, in the state is what Todd was I wouldn't saying. dispute with that. I think the Central Valley's always been a great place to live. I was born and raised here. I have no plans of leaving, uh, unlike a lot of other people. I think it's worth fighting for. Uh, but I can appreciate where if someone is in the Bay Area, let's say, and it costs over a million dollars to buy, you know, even a small place to live, that's beyond a lot of people's means. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not leaving either because I've sunk roots in here with a strategy of building or buying rental homes as my retirement income. So it's, um, it's not like I can just decide to move. I mean, I'd have to come back here at least twice a month, one to collect rent and the other to uh, <laughs> do unlawful detainers. <laughs> well, like, yeah, and God forbid somebody moves and you have to fix the place up and go through that scenario. But uh, you're right. You know, someone that has sunk roots and has a business or or contacts, a real estate professional is a perfect example. You have built your business over a period of years. You can't just pick up and move as maybe someone that works in IT or another profession where they get hired on by a company and they can do the same type of work. Mm-hmm. So give us a few more examples of a um, just cause criminal activity um could it be something like an excessive amount of police calls to the house it could that's actually a real good example um they specifically talk about nuisances they specifically talk about a significant breach of the rental agreement so your rental agreement will set forth a whole host of things that you expect that tenant to do or not do And if they breach that term or that provision of the rental agreement, then you still have the ability to evict them. Of course, you have to prove whatever that may be. In the past, one of the um, situations that would arise with some frequency is the landlord would suspect criminal activity, drug use, sales, prostitution, selling of uh, small arms, whatever it might be, and they couldn't quite prove it. After all, it's a criminal endeavor the tenant would be trying to hide this uh, activity. And so the landlord would serve that tenant a 30 or 60 day notice or 90 if they were on section eight. They didn't have to give a reason. Now they had the reason. They were convinced this criminal activity or these bad things were happening. In this day and age, you can't do that. If they've lived there for essentially, if they've lived there for more than 12 months, you have to have the cause. You have to be able to prove that drug use. You have to be able to prove whatever's going on. That's one of those, I think, unintended consequences. I think that people that don't rent, have never owned a rental, wrote and are trying to enforce this law. I just had a client call me and uh, their tenant is coming up on 12 months. And she asked, can I just rewrite a new lease to avoid him being to having a lease agreement of over 12 months so that all this stuff doesn't apply? 
Now, the, the authors were clever enough to build that into the law, and they basically said, no, if, if the tenant has been there continuously for 12 months, really doesn't matter the paper trail. So you could enter into a series of six-month leases, but if the tenant has continuously lived there for 12 months or more, then, you, uh, then it applies. Now, there is a, a little bit of a distinction if they're bringing other people in, you know, boyfriend gets out of prison and starts living with the, the gal you really rented to, they extend that up to 24 months. Interesting. When we get back from commercial break, I want to dwell more into that one. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio, where we're taking care of business today. We have Steve Herlicka here in the studio with us, and we're talking about just cause evictions. Um, I'm always puzzled by why it was called just cause evictions and not just cause terminations, because you, you're actually ending uh, an agreement. That's exactly right. You're terminating the tenancy. Yeah. I always thought an eviction is where there was an unlawful detainer involved and you had to go to court because one party breached the contract and you need the judge to give a writ of possession so you can take your property back. Well, you're, you're, that's exactly right. And it's a good distinction. You can terminate mm -hmm. the tenancy without having to go to court, without having to file an eviction. What generally happens is the landlord, not generally always, the landlord has to serve one form of notice or another. It could be a 30-day notice of termination of tenancy. It could be a three-day notice to pay rent or quit. It could be a three-day notice to perform, meaning, you know, I have a no-pet policy of a dog, so I'm going to give you three days to correct this situation. So you advise the tenant, hey, paragraph six of your rental agreement says you can't have any pets. And so the a tenant has three days within which to take care of that problem. If they don't, there's a process you go through and you eventually would file the unlawful detainer, the eviction. That's where you get the court involved and the judge ultimately is the um, final decision maker. And assuming he decide, he or she decides that it was done correctly, you'll ultimately get the paperwork, the writ of possession, can get the sheriff out there and get them out. On the policies, so if, if a landlord... Uh, has a no pet policy. Does that have to be for all of their properties? No, that's a great question. The, by way of example, if you had a brand new property, bought it from the developer and you say it's brand new carpets, brand new, this brand new, I am not going to allow a pet. I don't want that. I don't want the pet hair and so forth and so on. You can make that decision as a landlord, whereas you may have a 50-year-old property and say, so many people have lived in this property, it really doesn't matter to me. Maybe it has a big backyard. It seems a little bit more conducive. Backs up to an alley. Backs up to an alley. Yeah. Whatever it may, it could be in a bad area where they want the pet as more of a watchdog, whether it barks or it's a pit bull and you're okay with that. Of course, that's a different issue altogether with insurance and liability and whatnot. But uh, the point being that the landlord has the ability to determine what the totality of circumstances are and what is best for them and the tenant. So if, if the landlord owned 10 properties, they can have a different pet policy on each one. That's absolutely correct. Okay. Well, that's one thing that, ha that makes sense. And it would be the same is true for management companies. If they have a portfolio with different owners, 
they can have different requirements. One owner may say they have to make three times the amount of rent as an income standard before I'll even consider them. Another landlord may say, ah, I'm going to lower that to two or, or whatever that case may be. They can each have individual um, uh, uh, selection criteria. So you actually just described how I've run things because uh, I have a different pet policy for each property and it is based on how new the carpet is. How, um, it, also, whether or not a dog would be a good idea for safety or security. Well, and a lot of insurance companies have restrictions on that as well. You know, if you have a Rottweiler or you have a German Shepherd or you have a dog that has known dangerous propensities, the insurance company has something to say about that because they know if there's a little toddler and they put their face in the doghouse, that German Shepherd is going to bite. That's what they do. Uh, other dogs, uh, uh, golden retrievers might be a great family dog. So as a landlord, if you know that and you say, look, here are the restrictions, I'll allow certain dogs, certain weight, certain age, whatever it might be. I won't want a puppy, but if you have a seven-year-old dog, you know, in dog years, that's an old yeah. old being, right? Uh, that dog is likely no, not going to be the same problem. All right. Um, as far as, uh, can you define for us the difference between no fault and fault, at fault, um, evictions and what are the consequences for both i understand that with this new law you might have to pay somebody to move that's absolutely correct there is when you're talking about just cause eviction the just cause means that the landlord has the right there is a good reason and there's 11 of them that are set forth by ab 1482 Failure to pay rent is the most notable uh, one. It's the very first one that they listed. But there's some other things that they call no fault. And what they mean is no fault on the tenant's part. The tenant didn't create the situation. So by way of example, if you had older parents and you thought that you may have to put or want to relocate them from Nebraska, bring them to Fresno and they're going to live in your single family home, you can put that in the lease and say, look, if I do this, that's no fault. Now, it's, let me back up. It's, it's a reason to ask the tenant to leave, but it's not the fault of the tenant. In that instance, you'd have to pay up to one month or give them a credit of one month off their rent, the relocation benefit, if you will. Now, other communities in the state do it a little bit differently, but throughout the state right now, if you fall, and I keep saying if you fall, because there are exemptions, many single family homes don't fall within or under 1482. A lot of condominiums don't fall under this. Duplexes where the owner lives in one side, rents out the other, most cases won't fall into that. But if there's corporate ownership, if it's a corporation that owns the rental property, or if it's a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, or if it's an LLC where a corporation is one of the members, then it does fall under 1482. So the average person maybe lived in a home, two bedroom, one bath, they get a family, they move up in life, now they have a four bedroom home somewhere, they decided to keep the first one and rent it. Chances are this law does not apply to them at all uh, under the right circumstances. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of other rules. We won't go into all the details. We'd be here for a few hours. Uh, but that's the, the, the general idea. 
Okay. Now, let's take uh, a mom and pop that own one single-family residence, and they understand that, hey, single-family residences are excluded, so this doesn't apply to me. So I'm going to move my parents from Nebraska back into the house. But I understand there's some quirk in, in this law that says they had to have opted into that. Well, there Exclusion. is a provision. There's some language that needs to be in the lease as far. Now, if you're completely excluded, if, if it never touched you, never would, you don't need the language. But the problem is that there's a couple of situations that arise and they have an entire paragraph that you need to put into the um, lease agreement. So if 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 you have that paragraph and I won't bother reading it right now. And it refers, nobody could understand it nobody, anyway. Not over the radio, that's I, for sure. Most attorneys don't understand it without getting the book out and reading the codes. Okay, I'm an experienced real estate broker, and I have to admit, I had to read it like five times to understand it. Well, but, I was in the same boat. The first time I read this law, I thought, what the heck? And I had to go back again and again and again. And uh, since probably uh, November, um, and this thing was signed into law in, in October of 2019. So... You know, it took a little while for people to figure out that, that it was passed, that it was signed. But once they did, the questions started coming. And they wanted to know, you know, do I have to comply? Most landlords, when I say most, all that I can think of want to do the right thing. But they also want to understand what the right thing is. And this particular law has a lot of holes. The authors did not do a good job. They didn't tighten things up. It affects millions of people throughout the state of California. Uh, again, one of those unintended consequences. They thought they were doing a good thing. They, there's a lot of words, but it doesn't mean they captured everything. Things like Section 8 and whatnot, there's still some uh, differences of opinion on how those things are affected by this particular law. Mm -hmm. So um, that paragraph that needs to be added into, can it be added into a prior lease? So let's say the lease started five years ago, or, or, or and it's been... It was a one-year lease, but it was renewed on a month-to-month -month basis. So people have been there five years. Can you add that in now yes, after you the can. fact? The, um, the, the, the best way to do this is the California Apartment Association. Been around for years. Their sole goal, and it's a little bit of a misnomer because it says California Apartment Association. It sh really probably should be California Rental Association because they um, – do all things related to rentals. And they have spent months analyzing, lobbying, trying to do the best they could with respect to uh, ramping up to October when it was signed to make sure they got the best bill possible in the environment. And then after that, made sure that they had the right forms, that the lease agreement contained the right language, that they had the right addendums. By way of example, with regard to the rent cap, they have a, um, you, they have, you have the ability as a member, you get on their website, you type in your zip code, 93721, and it gives you the CPI. You don't have to worry about it. The CPI, the Com Consumer Price Index, generally changes in April. A lot of times they don't let us know what that is until maybe the middle of May. So there's about a month and a half in there. It's kind of a twilight zone. What do I do? But my point being, for the average person, including me, I didn't know what the CPI was. There was no reason for me to know that. But now I can get on the CAA, the California Apartment Association website, as a member. 
I type in my zip code, particularly if I have multiple properties or I'm a management company throughout the state, and it tells me, oh, the Fresno region is 3.34, San Francisco might be 2.9, whatever it might be, and then I can make those adjustments. And my point being, the greater point is that for most people that don't have people on the payroll, don't have an in-house attorney and whatnot, they need that guidance, and that's where you get it. So for the cost of membership, you get all those free forms, you get all that free advice. They have dozens of things that they have produced to help explain the law and guide people through this. And, and what is a membership cost in the CAA? It varies. You're probably looking at, in round figures, about $150, as I recall, uh, per, you know, an annual membership fee, plus there's a per-door fee. The thinking being that if you have a thousand units, if you manage that many units, you're getting that much more benefit out of the membership than someone that has a single family home. The reality is, uh, you know, if you hire an attorney or go visit one, you're going to be spending a lot more than that for an hour's worth of advice. Well, and that's where I'm going with this is part one of the unintended consequences of this bill is I think it requires more legal help. Um, the mom and pop uh, owners can't do it on their own anymore because how are you going to know how are you going to know that paragraph to add in there i i represent a lot of very sophisticated owners and managers of rental property and they all have questions and part of the reason for that is the law was not well written there are things in it that are subject to interpretation perfect example is uh, one of the provisions in the law says that if you serve a three-day notice, there's a provision that talks about another notice, a three-day notice to quit. In other words, you can't just rush into court and file on that three-day notice as you always could before. The theory is you serve the three-day notice to pay rent or quit, they get the three days, they fail to pay. There is yet another notice, this three-day notice to quit that needs to be served. Some very bright people that I respect look at the law and say, well, but they use the word may. Now, I personally think the way the law is written, it basically says, if you want to evict them, you may serve a three-day notice to quit and proceed with that. I think, I, I just think it was poor authorship. I, I don't think they thought it through correctly enough. And so what's happened is, as I said, very intelligent people, very knowledgeable landlord attorneys are split on whether you have to serve that second notice or not. My opinion is, yes, you have to serve it. I also have the opinion, I don't want to be the test case. I don't want to yeah. be the one that gets sued because I did something wrong. I think it's such a minor thing in the bigger scope of, of the situation. Go ahead and serve that notice. Yeah, because you're talking about an extra three days on t inside of... Uh a That's, minimum of 30 to 60 days anyway. Right. It's, it's going to take 45, 60 days, let's say, for, for you know, a basic unlawful attainer action. Another three is not the end of the world. And then the situation is, okay, what do I do if they offer the rent? The code section, or excuse me, the uh, legislation says that during that three-day notice to quit, the landlord does not have to accept the rent. But they could. The problem is if you do, now you've set a precedence, at least in my mind. If you're going to allow one tenant to pay within that three day, then you better be prepared to accept the rent for every single other tenant under the same or similar circumstances. Wow. Well, with that, we are going to go to our last commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. 
Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and Mr. Steve Herlicka here in the studio with us. Hey, that music gets me excited for baseball, but I still got to get through tomorrow's Super Bowl. <laughs> Go San Francisco. All right, or Chiefs, you know. <laughs> um, let's talk about the unintended consequences of this law that uh, just started, and you said it was poorly written in a lot of ways. It, it was so poorly written that 20% of the assembly was absent for the vote. Uh, they were afraid of it. Yeah, yeah, they, they could not put a yes by their name. That's exact, and yet they didn't want to say no, you know, and that's particularly true for those that uh, are facing re-election at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, their party boss might said, "You know, we, we have to move your office. You're over there in the closet now." So <laughs> it's you- happened. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, okay, so unintended consequences. What do you see as th- those being? Well, I think the a, a couple of things. One is. The uh, landlords used to have variable rents. They would say, if you enter into a one-year lease, I'm going to rent it at this. If you enter into a month-to-month, that's going to be a much higher price. And I think the, uh, you know, because they want that uh, continuity. They want a tenant that's going to stay. They don't want the turnaround costs, those kinds of things. They want to hire a good employee. They want to hire a good employee. Using your analogy again. Right. And anybody that's hired somebody, anybody that's been in charge or or overseen employees knows exactly what I'm talking about. It is one of the most difficult things to do, particularly in the market right now. The economy is great. We have, you know, if you want a job, you can get a job. Very similarly, uh, the rental market does the same thing. Sometimes there's a supply, sometimes there's a demand. And in this particular market, what's happening is people are really tightening up. They won't take a chance on a tenant that they might otherwise have taken a chance on because it's so much more difficult down the road to evict them. Or they want to put them on a month-to-month tenancy so that they can get them out that much faster. So then the tenant, the unintended consequence for the tenant is that instability. I don't know if I'm going to be asked to leave. One of the bigger issues where I think maybe more common has to do with the rent cap that was imposed by 1482 and landlords who had not raised the rent or maybe minimally over a period of time now look at this and say, well, I better raise it now while I can because next year God only knows what insurance, property taxes, sewer, whatever the cost might be to operate the property, all those things keep to go, keep going up. And in under the old formula, they always had the ability to say, well, you know, if things really get out of hand, I can always raise the rent then. Now, because of the cap, there is this uh, assumption that they better do it now while the getting is good. And that reminds me of a good story. We had this person on Welcome Home Radio a year ago. Um, she's a property manager from Santa Monica. Santa Monica imposed rent control back in 1978. And I said, oh, wow, that's interesting. That's the first year that that's the year I rented out my first house. Come to find out there, there was a particular property, a two bedroom, one bath apartment in Santa Monica that rented for three seventy five. I rented out a four bedroom, two bath home over by Cedar and Herndon for three seventy five. So we have the same basis, 1978, three hundred and seventy five dollars. Today, that four-bedroom, two-bath home probably could rent for, I don't have it anymore, but it could probably rent for $1,400 a month. 
the rent there in Santa Monica, $4,200 a month. So look at how much more a rent-controlled environment went up than a free market. The unintended, and her comment was, I owe it to my clients, which is the, the owners, to take what they give us. Since they only give us a little bit every year, I have to take that. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job for my client. And that, look at the disproportionate amount, $4,200 versus $1,400. I've seen the same thing in this area. I've seen landlords that have either not raised the rent or very little over a number of years. And when this law was imposed, they immediately decided I better raise the rent. Mm-hmm. Had the law not been passed, I think they would have just rocked and rolled. I think Fresno in particular would have benefited from the lower rents. And unfortunately, Fresno, the rents have now started to inch up. So what do you think about this wild thought that I have, Steve? I think an unintended consequence of this new statewide rent control is it, it will eventually be a boom for home ownership. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, I think that the the benefit to owning a home, particularly on a fixed rate mortgage, is going to, most people are going to look that direction, if they can. Yeah. And I always say the best form of rent control is a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. That, that's a very good way to look at it. I agree yeah. with you 100%. Yeah. The only time you have an adjustment is on that, after 360 payments, it goes down to zero. that's exactly right and and then you own something Um, well they can never take it away from you and it it, you might struggle to get into it to qualify but once you're there over a period of years you're definitely going to see the benefit of that but that's where your local realtor comes in they can help you get there and you might say well i'm not ready now i only have fifty dollars in savings still a good idea talk to your local realtor and strategize a plan they're not going into the Super Bowl tomorrow without a strategy and a plan. So, uh, and but they're not playing yet. And they hire professionals for that plan. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, any other unintended consequences? It, and I'm going to throw one out and, and see what you think. I think this benefits the large corporate landlords because a lot of mom and pops are now going to get out of it. I had a owner recently owned an eight plex he sold it didn't want to mess with this stuff and he bought a couple uh he did a 1031 exchange into um two single family residences well i no i think that's correct i i can recall when i first got into the business you would look at a rental agreement and oftentimes they were on a single piece of paper on one side of that paper anybody that's bought a car bought a home rented an apartment recognizes that the the lease or the agreement goes on and on and on it has become it's always been a business it's become more so it's you know the the uh landlord has to understand a lot of law has to under understand a lot of the effect that these things that the legislature has been doing and california in particular they just haven't found a law they didn't like. They just pass more and more and more thousands of bills that are introduced every year. The California Apartment Association monitor, as does the Realtors Association and several other uh, organizations. They monitor those bills for those that might affect the industry or their constituents, uh, and they take action. I think you just came up with the perfect soundbite to describe everything. 
because of Assembly Bill 1482, renting, a, re- renting property now has become a business. It's become a business. It used to be something where you could do, you know, a mom and pop situation could do this and, and provide good housing, provide a good environment for others. It's now a business. Thank you to the uh, AB 1482. <laughs> well, thanks for having me today, Don. I've appreciated it. All right. Thank you for imparting this and uh, giving me a lot of free legal advice. I do appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We really appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs>